what I was, what I was thinking for it is instead, like, just because it only took like what five minutes to actually make it. So if I could get still get it from everyone, I'll make about ooh, five or six different variations of it. Then every single video, just chuck a new one on. You know, just mix it up every week, sort of thing. Sounds good. Yeah, sounds good. Did. So, hey, Craig. Yeah. hey, Craig. But yeah, every once in a while, just get a thing of it. Yeah, I need photos of this, 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 and this at these angles. So I'm still waiting on a few, but that's fine. Yeah, I know I need to take mine. Yeah, cool. Ezra. Yeah. <laughs> Shall we I'm start busy, okay? a customary threat against Ezra? Oh, God. Ezra, if you don't upload your photos, I am personally going to walk to New Mexico and steal that Bofors gun for Ken Medic. All right, take it. No, no, listen, I would willingly give it to him because of just how overly engineered it is. Like, I don't even want to build it. I mean, honestly, if you saw me uh, show up at your front door after walking continuously for 12 days, yeah, you'd probably be willing to give me a kit as well. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> you, you want blood. Probably a ride back to Canada, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the Micro Machines podcast. Who? This is the right one, right? Yep. Okay. What episode are we up to? Six. Uh, the episode six. Episode six. Jesus. Where has the time gone? Today's episode is about active protection systems. Not really so much scale modeling, although I am going to segue right into it. So don't worry. Shall we do some introductions? I think so. So you got me, Callum, the one who's talking right now. The guy from Down Under, who's even further Down Under than the Aussies. Yeah, I'm Dennis. I'm recording from Ontario right now, where it is currently pitch black. I'm Ezra. I just came out of my closet, and I'm actually recording this on my workbench. No. Amazing. My name's Greg. Currently recording in my garage in SoCal, putting together uh, Hobbylink tracks. And how are those going for you? A lot better than yesterday, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> those things will be the death of you yet. Probably. <laughs> well, so... Before I can talk about active protection systems, I'd like to even describe what they are. First, I've got to talk about a problem with tanks. So the problem with tanks is that basically <laughs> since the 1950s, anti-tank missiles have been getting like progressively more and more effective at destroying tanks. To the point that where like today, as we're seeing in places like Ukraine, uh, you've got these extremely advanced like fifth generation main battle tanks getting absolutely clapped by one guy and a javelin, right? So the problem is basically that uh, tanks have, I mean, their armor evolves to meet the threats to it, right? So when anti-tank rockets initially came out, you see tanks like the uh, T-90, for instance, on this slide with uh, uh, explosive reactive armor, right, to counter their heat warheads. Well, then you start getting tanks, uh, anti-tank missiles like the tow missile having tandem heat warheads, which means that even if a tank is ERA, it still is going to get penetrated and destroyed. And now you've got missiles that have things like, you know, fire and forget warheads. So they can basically just home in on a tank, even if they're not being controlled by a user. So, you know, the environment is getting a lot more tough for tanks to survive in. And nowadays we've got people even saying that they're obsolete, which they've been saying since forever. But I'm going to be talking today about a reason why tanks are not yet obsolete and why as good as anti-tank missiles are, they're still not necessarily going to be enough. And that is the active protection system. So, you know, what exactly is an active protection system? So Wikipedia says an active protection system is basically designed to prevent anti-tank missiles 
acquiring or destroying a target. You got two types of uh, active protection systems, okay? So the one on the top, hold on, let me get my laser pointer. I'll go full college professor on this one. Or Justin Rosniak. Exactly. So the one on the top is soft kill. And if I were to sum up exactly what the purpose of a soft kill APS is, it is basically to make the missile have a seizure. Like, that's the simplest way of putting it. We can see here, uh, Ezra, this might interest you, this is an M1A1? I don't even know. It's got an American soft kill APS, the AN. AND. Oh, that's what that is. Yeah. I have one of those. You guys can't come up with, like, good names for your systems. They're all, like, AN slash ANP or whatever. Yeah. Hey, don't worry about it. <laughs> Just call it the M1. <laughs> but yeah, that's the yeah. American system. We got here the uh, German MUSS, or M-U-S-S, which is on their Puma, and is probably giving a lot of people in War Thunder a pretty pretty big headache right now. Dude, but, Puma's hey, the coolest. So you've got hard kill, right? And if I were to put this in the slang that will uh, Will uses. Uh, the, the point of a hard kill APS is to destroy the missile, right? Show what happens when it comes around these ends. Yes. So, I'll start talking about... Uh, oh, wait, no. I'm not going to yet. Because we've got math. Oh, boy. Oh, God. oh yeah. Welcome to, uh, welcome to this class. It's actually on AP Calculus. You thought this was going to be about scale models. No, I'm You've been waiting to do this your whole life. I've been waiting to do this my whole <sighs> university career. Okay, so... You can ignore all the math. Basically, the, I was just going to talk about, like, so active protection systems are kind of cool because they're sort of, like, signaling a new era in, like, armored fighting vehicle development just because for the first time, you're starting to see, like, tanks have these really powerful computers integrated into them, which are capable of doing things like, you know, multivariate vector calculus, where they're basically, like, using radar or lasers to find the movement of an object in like three dimensions and then even four dimensions if you account for time and then like extrapolating that. Now I'll get into detail about how it works later, but basically like you've just got a lot of, you know, sensors and hardware and computers on tanks now that's just making them like finally brought into the 21st century. And it's going to be like a big part of the evolution of tanks because instead of just becoming obsolete, Whenever a new threat appears, computers are basically now allowing tanks to become a lot more survivable than like any amount of ceramic armor or steel or what have you. But yeah, uh, I will be talking about some math concepts. So, there are basically two types of soft kill active protection systems. Like, may basically two types are being fielded right now. I'm sure more will be coming out in the future. So the first type is uh, obscuration, right? So basically, here's the situation, right? You're sitting in your tank. Someone fires an anti-tank guided missile at you, right? Right. Rip. So the missile... Turn out to die. Yeah, exactly. But this, this is basically how obscuration works. So most anti-tank missiles use some, like the most modern ones, like Javelin or Stugna, which is the Ukrainian one. They use some sort of like warhead guidance system. So the missile doesn't isn't like reliant on a wire, like a tow missile is, right? Where it's reliant on an actual wire connected right. to a launcher. So the missile is looking for the tank, right? And it's usually usually using like an infrared uh, 
laser or it's using some kind of like television camera. But it's looking for the tank and it needs to basically have a line of sight with it in order to be able to actually guide it to it and destroy mm -hmm. it. Right? So, but the tank, if it's got an obscuration active protection system, it's basically going to have these sensors positioned all around it. And they could be either radar for literally just like scanning the air around the tank at all times, looking for the missile showing up on the radar, or it could have a laser warning receiver, which basically, if you've got, say, a Stugna, for instance, which is using its laser beam to guide the missile towards the tank, the tank will be aware that it's being tracked by a laser, and that can figure out, looking at the vector of that laser, like where the missile is going to come from. But basically, it works by getting the laser warning then using its own laser to basically figure out the distance to the missile. And then when it figures out like where the missile is coming from, it will deploy smoke grenades or something similar. And basically that obscures the tank, hence the name Obscuration. Oh, and doesn't, the, doesn't the T-90 have something like that? Oh, we'll, we'll get into the T-90. We will oh, talk sweet. about that. Yes, but it's a pretty uh, common system now, and you've even got a lot of like tanks which don't really have like a proper active protection system. They have this now, just because it's like super easy to integrate into tanks because they've already got their smoke grenade launchers. You just need to integrate some sort of laser warning receiver mm -hmm. and uh, direction finder. But consequentially, it's also one of the least effective systems because let's say your tank is stationary. Most missiles now, even if they can't see it, they'll assume that it's not moving and they'll just continue on their course. So it's a good system if you're moving around, but not if you're stationary. So the second uh, form of soft kill APS is the disrupt form. And so basically, you guys know about the T-90, right? And I'll show a picture of it later. How it's got the two red eyes. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, so I'll talk more in detail about that later, but that's an example of a disruption uh, APS. So... <laughs> Basically, what you've got is with a lot of missiles, right? Whether they're launched by a helicopter or they're, you know, like a um, you know man portable or whatever, they use some sort of light-based guidance system, right? Now, it might not be a visible laser; it might be an infrared one or whatever. But it's using a laser rangefinder to basically pick up the tank and then figure out its distance to the tank and then make you know corrections to its trajectory based on that. So. In much the same process as the first type, the tank has some sort of laser warning uh, receiver, and then it uses a laser of its own to pick up the missile, figure out where it is approaching the tank in time and space, extrapolate that data to figure out where it will hit the tank, and then it uses something called a uh, laser dazzler or infrared dazzler or something like that, and it literally just shines a bright light at the missile. And what this does is... If it's shining light in the same wavelength that the missile's guidance computer is using, right, like its guidance sensors, so say if the missile is using an infrared laser to get the range to the tank, well, if the tank shines infrared light at that uh, uh, range-finding part of the warhead, basically, the guidance computer is going to get overwhelmed by the data, right, because it's looking for very specific points of data about the tank and its infrared signature and the data from the laser. If it's suddenly just getting like huge amounts of that same wavelength, right, it's going to start thinking, oh, I must be here already. It's just going to like slow down the computer enough that it can't really guide the missile. It's going to encounter a fatal error. So 
basically, as seen here on the slide, the idea is to just give the guidance computer an aneurysm. Like, that's about how it works. Basically, basically it's like the same as shining a high-powered torch at someone's eyes sort of thing. That, that's basically the... Yeah, you can think of that as basically that, but made bigger for a tank. Would you say it's as effective as shining light in someone's eye? Yeah. Um, I'd say the thing with us is that the human brain is pretty good at being able to recover from, you know, like, you know, having a light shine in your eyes. Like, we can pretty well distinguish uh, our surroundings still after that. But with a missile, the guidance computers have to be really They have to be tiny, right? Because these missiles aren't big. Right. So, the computer is And they're not, only one use. <laughs> exactly. So, not the best. So, basically, the computer does one thing. It gets the laser range-finding data, and it does that very well. But if you suddenly are just, like, overwhelming the sensors with that, and just kind of like making everything shoot off the charts, the computer isn't powerful enough to cope with that. So, yeah. Um, can anybody like think of any problems with a soft kill active protection system? I'd say the laser be, it would have to be pretty accurate, wouldn't it? Like oh. If you missed, if the laser missed it, then you're uh, you're not gonna have a good time. Kind of bugger. Okay. Um, I mean, another problem might be like as the technology evolves in the missiles. You know, I can't talk today. You know, as it evolves, it'd be less effective. You better hope your wiring didn't cut out or something. It's a lot of electrical parts you're relying on. That is true. Like, there are a lot of uh, very precise things like the lasers and the dazzlers that you're relying on. So, there are a lot of issues with soft kill APS systems. I'm kind of surprised no one mentioned this. What about RPGs? What about unguided rockets that don't have a, like, a guidance system? Uh, so, yeah, I think that's where yeah. your reactive like, ERA armor would come in. What about tandem? Tandem charge warhead. So, enter the hard kill system. So, hard kill is most people's favorite because it's a lot more dramatic. Um, if this were had a personality, it would be the diva. So basically, <laughs> a hard, whereas a soft kill system basically like doesn't actually do anything physically to the missile, right? A hard kill system destroys it. Or it disables it. So it just basically it messes up the missile enough that it can't function properly anymore, whether that be crushing the warhead, destroying it outright, or blasting away at the guidance system. So there are two main types of this as well. So the first type is deployed. So here you have um, radar, usually, right? So you've got very low-band radar positioned around the tank. When the missile is approaching, the radar picks it up, figures out the location of the missile, and then it scans it again to find basically its speed and direction. And then it extrapolates that data to figure out where the missile will hit the tank. So then once it figures that out, it uses some sort of counter munitions launcher, which then fires out like something, usually it's like a 40 to 76 millimeter counter munition, almost like a grenade with a proximity fuse. That's so cool. It shoots, it shoots a counter munition at the missile using the data from the radar to know okay this is exactly where it's going to be in time and space and when the counter munition gets close enough it detonates itself which basically incapacitates the missile so if it's an rpg it'll probably just you know just you know cause it to prematurely explode if it's a missile like a tow it'll probably destroy its guidance system and then kind of useless. 
Yeah, exactly. Sorry, um, that Wilhelm scream you just heard was me getting a text. <laughs> it was convenient. That was just wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was good timing. I'm, I'm going to leave that one in. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. But uh, that's how a hard kill system works. Uh, I should say that's how a deployed system works. By shooting a big grenade at the missile, which de detonates on proximity. If you want, look up the YouTube videos of these after the episode. It is pretty exciting. It's pretty cool. I am. Yeah, I'm already looking it up right now. But basically, like, it's the tank version of a ship's C-Ram or C-Wiz, basically. Yeah, exactly. Many of yeah. the... Oh, crap, you're going to make me talk about math. Many of the mathematical and uh, engineering principles that are behind, say, a C-Wiz uh, are the exact same thing as uh, what's going on here. Because you've got radar to pick up the object, you're figuring out, like, the velocity vector in three dimensions of that object, and then you're computing an intercept vector. It's all really the same stuff that's going on. But Very cool. The problem with this, and there are problems with it, is that, first of all, you need to have pretty big counter munitions, right? You need to have a launcher that can get on that at a pretty high velocity. They need to be big enough to have a proximity fuse and to have, you know, quite a bit of explosives in them, which means, you know, that you're going to have to carry, like, a, quite a bit of extra weight. And also, there's a problem that, what if the missile changes direction? Well, if it just flies in a different direction and hits the tank anyways. So, to counter this, you have the distributed hard kill active protection system. So, this works in pretty much the same way, where it's using radar to figure out, okay, where is the missile going to hit the tank? But instead of firing a counter munition at long range to destroy the missile before it even gets close, this one basically uses a shotgun. And it has, like, these grenade launchers, and they just point, shoot basically at point-blank range. A spread of, usually it's like just steel balls, and they <laughs> cripple the missile before it can actually uh, hit the tank. That's interesting. It, yeah. The, that would make a really fun and challenging diorama of that action happening. <laughs> You've got a bunch of like those little steel rods connected to tiny balls. E exactly. That, oh, I kind of want to do that now. The, the advantage with this system is that with the other system I was talking about, where you're using like a bigger single counter munition, you need to have a really good radar system that's able to pick up like a small object moving very quickly and then figure out all this like math stuff, right? With this, all you really need to know is what direction is the missile going to hit the tank from? Is it going to hit from you like one o'clock, two o'clock, three o'clock, etc.? And then you just say, hey, one o'clock, uh, counter munitions dispenser, you know, pop off more or less. And that's the advantage with this system. Now, I wouldn't want to be an infantryman around this tank when this was going on. Yeah, that could prove to be messy. It is a bit yeah. of a problem. <clears throat> you just see the tank crew just going, yeah, fire countermeasures, and then just looking out going, where's my platoon gone? <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, that'd be about right. <laughs> see, that's why they, they made the Merkava, so they could carry the troops inside. The Israelis were thinking about this before this even existed. So this, so this system compared to the other one, this one's much better for sort of reactionary, um, you know, you don't have enough time sort of thing as well. Exactly. You, this one's I mean, just like, it's basically at your face and you're just hitting it at the last second. Exactly. Yeah. So this one works at a distance of usually anywhere from like one to two meters at most. Whereas oh, wow. the uh, deployed system can work at like, basically there's no limit to how far away you can do it, as long as you can make a counter munition that's fast enough, right? 
which has enough uh, velocity to it. Usually, though, these ones work at distances at like three or four or even like five or seven meters. So in terms of like the survivability of everyone around the tank, much better to have a deployed system, but you need a lot higher grade electronics. You need to have a lot better of a computer system. So it's definitely not going to be your shitty updated T-72. Not really, no. And of course, you're like, you know, upsides and downsides to all this, right? But that is, in a nutshell, basically how the active protection system works. So now, who wants to see some uh, tank porn? Yes. Don't we all? Yep. Okay, so we're going to talk about soft kill first. So, remember how I was talking to you guys about the red eyes on the T-90? <laughs> yes. So this... That makes it look awesome. This is called the Stora uh, active protection system. And the way that this works is basically, there are laser warning receivers here, right? So if, say, you're in a, with a tow missile, and you are using one of the newer versions, I think the newer versions use a laser, I'm not exactly sure, I'm not an expert on that, but like you're using some kind of ATGM, and it's using a laser, right? And it's painting the tank to figure out the distance to it, so it can guide itself. So the tank finds out, oh, look, I'm being lased, it figures out what direction that laser is coming from, and it swings the turret around and fires these two dazzlers at it. Now, the interesting thing is, um, this is, like, when they're on, you see that they're red, right? The color of the light actually has nothing to do with it. The light that it is using to disrupt the missile's warhead is not in the visible spectrum of light that humans can see. It's actually an infrared. These are just to show that it's uh, on. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it's just for show. Exactly. Yeah, just so that people know it's active. Um, but the basically, as I said earlier, this works by just funneling so much infrared light into the missile's guidance sensors that its computer can't parse through the information and then make guidance corrections or even figure out where the missile is in relation to the tank. So, like, uh, I think if you ever play this in War Thunder, right, and you're trying out a missile against it, the missile will just fly straight, or it might fly straight down. And believe it or not, for once, something in War Thunder is sort of accurate to real life. If this system works as intended, which it almost never does, the missile is just going to, like, either fly straight fly straight down, like, its computer is going to basically choose what it thinks is best, given the situation, but it probably won't hit the tank. So, did you say before that when that's active and it finds it's being targeted, the turret automatically moves to, to face I, it? As far as I understand, yeah, I believe that's what... I can see just many problems with that. Oh, you yeah. know, like, namely, like, the gunner's trying to lay, lay a target, and he's like, yep, 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 and then suddenly swung 90 degrees to the left, uh, to the left. Exactly. Now, I believe this is something like, and I'm not an expert on Russian tanks, so I mean, you know, people in the comments want to correct me, they should, but you can disable that feature. But then that kind of like exposes a problem with the system, which is it only works if the turret is pointing towards the missile. And I will bet most people who are using a missile against this are not going to be doing it right in front of the main gun. I don't know. There are some people <laughs> who think it's okay to shoot an AT4 at the front of a T90 below the driver's hatch. And well, there you I, go. I, that, um, that, I, I don't get it. And that was another perfectly timed Wilhelm scream. As <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, keep it going. <laughs> this is good. You're two for two at the moment. I think I know why the uh the lights are red to look menacing well for being realistic uh red's a little harder to see 
at night. I mean, you can still see it plain as day, but it's a lot harder to see at night. And uh, it's also red means stop. It's telling the missile to stop. <laughs> the missile cannot penetrate you if you do not give it consent. Exactly. And red is like Ooh. bad, and consent is good, so red is bad. <laughs> Imagine if they just made a version of these which had green lights and it actually made the missile come towards it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, if the uh, footage of Ukraine is any indication, uh, the Shtora system has been used in combat. It doesn't work. I mean, I bet it has worked in some cases, but there are more than a few instances where it's being recorded of it being active and not having done its job. So I wonder why. I would guarantee that at least in one of these systems, the lights, like the lights we can see turned on, but the infrared lights that actually need to turn on to stop the missile <clears throat> probably didn't turn on because wiring. You know, I've got a question. A little theory, if you would. Just like uh, like in World War II, an infantryman would be trained to shoot the ports, like the few ports and whatnot of tanks, to mm -hmm. like shatter the glass so you couldn't see. Yep. Do you think, obviously they're going to have like ballistic glass, so it's not going to shatter or anything. You would think. Whether they do or don't, let's say they do, right? They're being smart about it. It's just going to like spiderweb the glass. W would that make the, um, the system inoperable? Because, um, I mean... Well, then you're good. Like, I mean, if we're talking in the context of the Shtora, um, you're kind of getting into like a side of like diffraction and whether or not the light diffracts. But suffice to say, um, infrared it probably wouldn't do too much. Like, I don't think uh, just the glass shattering would do it. I think you'd have to like hit, say, if it was hit by a 50 BMG or something like that. In that case, okay. you're probably looking more at just the infrared emitters being damaged. And if that's the case, yeah, it's not going to work. I'm about to say, good luck getting your tank crew to replace that shit, because I guarantee you, all they know is to hit a switch. Exactly. Or, you know, even if, I mean, to any of our listeners, if you find out <laughs> that the uh, laser warning receivers are not fully armored, which I do not believe they are in most cases, just because of this nature of their construction, shoot those. Because whether or not the tank has infrared uh, emitters or not, if it doesn't have the ability to pick up the laser that's painting it, I mean, the, the infrared isn't just going to come on by itself. All or right. if you want to do it like the 50s, just throw a blanket over the viewports and stuff, and you've got yourself a, an operable T90. That would actually make sense. Run around with an axe, like uh, that one <laughs> Russian dude. <laughs> a raging bloody Soviet with a wood axe, yeah. Yes. What was the uh, the revolution? I forgot what fucking European country it was. It was uh, after World War II, obviously. The, the Russians pushed into some country. And uh, the civilians used, like, Molotov cocktails and, like, blankets yeah, and Hungary. stuff. Oh, that was oh, yeah. Hungary. It was, the, it was the Hungarian Revolution, I think it was called. But, yes. Um, they had a they had a monument. They had a T-3485 as a monument. And that had been sitting there... I think it was like in 54 this happened. So that thing had been sitting there for about 10 years and they still managed to start it up first time and get it working. <laughs> nice. was, so all these uh, students and stuff rolling into the rolling towards the Soviets in a bloody uh, T-34-85. It's just, you know, they weren't military people so they didn't really know how to use it. So they just rushed forward with, rushed forward with this um, T-34 and the uh, Soviet soldiers just climbed over it and dropped a bunch of tear gas into it. Oh, damn. It actually it happened uh, also during the uh, Euromaidan protests in 2014 in uh, Kiev. 
they did the exact same thing. T-34 was sitting there. It had fuel in it. Literally just fired <laughs> up and drove off. That's and awesome. in that case, it was actually a guy who had served on them. And so he knew what he was doing. Oh, Jesus. Well, there was, there was a T-34 recovered from... It had been sunk in a uh, swamp or something since the 40s, and they, they dragged it up and changed a few things in the engine, but still, it, they still managed to start it up. That is baffling. Holy crap. Uh, Soviets knew how to build stuff, well, some stuff that actually worked. And it didn't look good. It didn't look pretty or anything like that, but it just did its job. That's all they needed. The uh, eBay ad for that. Uh, T-34, 1942 model. Lightly used. <laughs> <laughs> Minor yeah, what, uh, one eighty-eight millimeter hole in it. No low ballers. I know what I've got. <laughs> <laughs> so that is the uh, Stora. Now the other one, well, one of the other ones is the um, uh, what is it? Bundeswehr. I was about to call it the Wehrmacht, but it's like no, it's the Bundeswehr. Now. <laughs> uh, they integrated it onto their Puma, their infantry fighting vehicle, and basically the way that the MUS system works is it uses a bunch of these infrared and laser warning receivers, as you can see all around here, right? All these little lenses here. And so this Shoot basically them. tells the uh, Puma when it is being lased by a missile, or even actually, I think, this is a pretty advanced system. I don't understand everything about it. I think it can actually just, like, pick up when a missile is being fired at it, period, because it's got radar, I think. But anyways, the point being, so this one works by basically uh, deploying countermeasures. It can either deploy smoke or I believe now it will actually be deploying like uh the shotgun rounds as we saw in the like the fourth type of APS. But uh this is a pretty advanced system. I don't think it's been trialed yet in combat just because like the boom has never been in combat, but at least in the field tests it's done really well. Although I will say it is pretty vulnerable as you can see with like these mounts one one bullet and those one well, those are gonna be going out. Bro, I was about to say that's like a, it's like a shot disc or something you're just aiming at. I, mean, I see that in the field, that shiny little glass piece up there. Mm-hmm. Has the Puma yeah, ever just... actually been in combat? Don't think so. I thought not this Puma. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> actually, uh, funny story. So the Canadian Army in Afghanistan was for a brief minute actually considering buying the Puma and sending it there to back up the lav. That would have been cool. Yeah, it, it, it was like seriously considered for like two seconds, and they saw the price tag and were like, "What? <laughs> no, we'll we'll go for something a bit cheaper. Bring back, those, uh, bring back those leopard gate guardians. We'll send those." Out. So, uh, this is a pretty interesting one. Uh, I thought we would like Next. to see. So, this is, is the Syrian armor. That is uh, rebar armor. Yes. Good. Night shift moment. <laughs> So this is the Syrian Serab 2 active protection system. And uh, this, as you can see, is mounted on a T-62. That's a T-62, right? Uh, is it 72? Look at the sights and look at the smoke grenade launchers. You sure that's not a T-62? I, I'm looking at the uh, fume extractor, unless maybe that's an L-7 gun. That's being put in there. You can tell about the front of the whole... Hang on. Yeah, I know. I'm, I want to go grab my T-72 I need a, I need, model. I need to see, like, a side picture, because you can tell pretty clearly about the uh, type through the road wheels. Oh, yeah. It's not a 62, that's for sure. My bet's on a 72, just because of... Mm, yeah, the 62's driver uh, hatch is on the left-hand side of the hole. Oh, okay. Yeah, that would, yep, then it would be a T-72. 
but point being, I, I stand corrected. Thank you for telling me that. Um, this is pretty cool because it's uh, an APS system that was developed by like a, you know a pretty a, a country. I'm going to sound awfully a country that does not have say the scientific and financial resources to develop a radar guided <laughs> APS system like the uh, MUS or the uh, Stora or Rena. But like an L Syria. I'm just handing out L's to just like really good countries. Um, but basically, this was developed during the course of the Syrian civil war, and it is basically a Dazzler type APS. So it works kind of similar to the Stora, where it uses uh, infrared to dazzle the uh, missile being targeted at it. Uh, moreover, they are usually used though just as laser warning receivers. So then. They are APS systems, but they're not always used as such. Sometimes they're just used to kind of alert the crew that they're being lazed. So then they pop smoke and, you know, reverse out of there. But, uh, yeah, they've made two marks of these. The Sarab 1 and then the Sarab 2 that is pictured here. Uh, pretty cool, though. Like, they, apparently, I haven't heard a lot about them, but apparently they actually did work in combat. So they're, so they're definitely ahead of the Soviet on the ahead of the Russians. Big you also got to think, though, if I'm not mistaken, Syria was like a hand-in-hand -hand mix between urban combat and like open field combat. So especially in an urban environment, you're not really going to have a problem, too big of a problem with, uh, with lasering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and definitely. Good. Yeah. And as a soft kill APS, this has nothing like you get a guy with an RPG, of which I've heard there actually are a few RPGs in Syria, believe it or no not. No way. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, this is useless against it. Absolutely useless. Oh yeah, it's like uh, like the Russians in uh, Berlin putting uh, mattress frames on their their turrets. <laughs> well, you got to uh, got to stop the Impenzafaust somehow. <laughs> Makes uh, a good model. Yeah. Well, you have some little fourteen-year-old in a tiny little foxhole that you can't see until the last second. But yeah. I just thought this was kind of a neat, neat thing to include. Uh, big W for the Syrians for uh, showing us what they can do. Real proud of them. Now, here's the fun stuff. So these are the hard kill systems. So what we got here are two Challenger tanks with different APS systems on them. Look at that. This was part of the uh, Medusa program. This one, I'm not sure if it had an actual designation, but this is the Challenger 2 Black Knight. Uh, yeah. Sleek. Damn, they look good. Yeah, I like whoever uh, at the British Ministry of Defense was just like, yeah, let's just paint it black. Get your rattle cans out, guys. <laughs> so, oh, I mean, they got the blank prints, so yeah. might as well up it up. Bro, I was about to say, it looks like one of mine. Like my T-62 down there was just primed in black, waiting to be painted. <laughs> yeah, this was actually shipped from the uh, Tamiya factory, but it was only primed. They haven't gotten around to painting it or weathering it yet. <laughs> so, right. here on the black one we can see uh, this is the Iron Fist Active Protection System which is one of those deployment APS systems uh, which I was talking about where it shoots like a big counter munition out which literally uses a proximity fuse to blow itself up which is uh, pretty dramatic like there was some pretty footage of it working out there so in the Medusa program of which the Black Knight was a part you also have the, uh, whatever this is, again, no official designation as far as I'm aware, but this is also using the uh, MUS system, so it's prototyping it, uh, 
as far as I'm aware, the Brit like the Medusa program, which was the program to see if the Challenger 2 could have an APS on it, it was kind of inconclusive, as many programs right now with APS systems are. Uh, don't think that they're planning on integrating it anytime soon, but yeah, we got cool War Thunder vehicles out of it. Definitely. Oh, that's sick. Up there. Look, at, look at the Tusk armor, that um, Crow system. Beautiful. Look at the loader and commander up there, just ready to rip it up. Mm -hmm. That thick armor on the turret cheeks. So this is an M1... Oh my god, you guys are going to crucify me if I get this wrong. This yep. is an M1A2 service extension program version. Three? I want to say V3, but yeah, I, I think it can't V3. Yeah, it looks like a V3. It's either a V3 or a V4. I'm not sure which one is actually being trialed right now. This is V4? V3 is actually in service. Yeah. Anyways, point being, M1A2, it's already like one of the heaviest tanks out there. It's got all its tusk armor. It's got you know the big antennas at the back. So the mad lads at uh, the United <laughs> States military decide, let's put the Israeli trophy system on this as well. <laughs> If we couldn't make it better protected already, let's just do that. So I will be talking more about the trophy system at length, just because it pertains a lot to scale model makers. But basically, this is a system which uses radar. As you can see here, these like little gray sci-fi looking things are actually the radar antenna. So it uses very narrow band radar to pick up the missile and then launch a counter munition at it. Uh, and the launchers are here. They're on swivel mounts. Base. And it'll just go pew, shoot the counter munition out. It's got proximity fuse and it blows up itself and the missile. Um, yeah, but this offers more or less 360 degree protection. Uh, it is the only, I think, well, it's one, one of the only combat tested active protection systems out there. Uh, certainly one of the only Western ones, but it's also the only one with uh, like 100% uh, like. Kill rate, it's really good. So yeah, the uh, as far as I've heard, the U.S. Army is actually going to be putting the trophy APS on the Bradleys and the Abrams. And now really want to build this. Well, we will get to building this. So the uh, the trophy APS, just like has a little bit more of history, was developed originally for this, which is the Merkava, the Israeli uh, Merkava Mark IV. So as you can see, like. If you look at closely, you can actually see the radar arrays for it right mm -hmm. here on the turret cheeks. And they've got some at the back as well. And then you've got the launchers here in blue. And the neat thing with these is that they actually have an auto loader. So there's a whole magazine of counter munitions for each launcher. Nice. So it's not as if you just launch once and then you're done. You see, that makes sense having those being an auto loader. Yeah, it's kind of better than having just two extra loaders. Or one very overworked loader. <laughs> slash canary. Imagine being the loader for these, and you're going through training, and you know, you're know you're loading the main gun, then you have to load one launcher, then the other, then the other. And then suddenly your commander points a sidearm at you and is like, radio then, take your mask off. Let's see if this air is spicy. But yeah, the uh, Israelis, um, I mean, like, no matter what your view is on, you know, their politics, my god, they make good tanks. These are, the, the Merkava is just insane. It's like one of the most heavily defended tanks on Earth at this point with the trophy. That's the um, LIC but, uh, variant, right? This is the LIC variant, yep. you can. Looks like a sci-fi tank. Yeah. 
honestly, I mean, hot take, it doesn't look that good. I would have preferred if it was like more, I don't know, less, less rounded. But more anyways, thick. Um, this has actually, uh, these tanks have been shot up with guided missiles and they have survived. I actually think I, Trophy has a 100% success rate. Or it's like something like 99.9%. Ain't bad. Yeah, I mean, even if a missile did get through, like, look at all this armor we'd have to go through anyways. Yeah. It's a heavy boy. And then this is, again, the trophy on the Israeli neighbor APC, which is based off the Rakava as well. Fun fact, this is actually, I believe, the most heavily armored vehicle on Earth. Makes sense. I mean, look at it. Ezra, you'd be happy to hear this. The U.S. Army was trialing these, so somewhere in some alternate universe, there's this in NATO 3-tone. Mm. Oh, to be honest, I prefer Kargatan. Get out of here. It, it, Tom, what's your view on Kargatan? Uh, I don't know. Kargatan looks better than NATO 3-tone on certain vehicles. Like what? Uh, the Abrams. On the ones with Tusk. No. No. Only no. on Tusk Armored Abrams, okay? No. 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 This is your hill to die. We're starting the segment early. This is your hill to die on. <laughs> <laughs> um, Humvees look pretty good in Karkatan. No. No. Oh, God, no. Try again. <laughs> Keep going. Out of vehicles. What about, um, the, what about the Bradley? No, 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 not the Bradley. No. You know what? Reject all this Kark business. Who cares if your paint catches on fire? We need to return to Olive Drab. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I I yep. take an Ab an Abrams. Abrams in all uh, Olive Drab. Oh, I would take the Abrams in Olive Drab. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. So this is a little blast from the past. Again, I'm not gonna get I'm not going to say this is a T-72. I, I think That's a T-62. <laughs> Don't tell me this is a T-62. It's a T-62. You're kidding me. Nope, look at the driver's hatch. Left-hand side, the front of the hole comes out and it has that light system on the, on the right side. I, I literally can't. I can't, can't, I, I can't do this. I'm just <laughs> offside every time. Well, this has one of the first actual APS systems, which is the Soviet uh, Drozd. Which I, which I think loosely translates to droid uh, APS. So basically, well, the way this works is it uses radar. And again, it only works if the missile is pointed directly towards the turret, which is kind of a... Yeah, it's a bit of a trouble, troubling thing. But each of these tubes has a rocket with a proximity fuse on it. And like with other uh, deployment APS systems, rocket shoots out. It goes near the missile and it explodes, right? Thanks to its proximity fuse. So this was developed, I think, as far back as like the days of the T fifty five. But yeah, it's uh, I think it might even still be in service. It has worked combat. It has actually proven itself. Um, I believe a couple were in Chechnya. Can't comment though on its success rate. Yeah, there, there were a lot of tanks on both sides that just got trashed, so that war is just kind of... I don't know. Yeah. 
I will say though, in like typical Soviet fashion, like everything else, like the trophy and all those other ones, they use very small, like 76 millimeter counter munitions. This one's got like a flip freaking torpedo. <laughs> I know, those are they're huge. Like, they're shooting an RPG at us, shoot an RPG back at the RPG. Like, yeah. I wonder if you could use them as like anti personnel rockets, you know? You had to. Bro, imagine you're like. It's a lo or not the loader because they don't have loaders. Imagine you're like the gunner sitting in there. You're like commander's dead, and you hear like dudes climbing on your tank. You're like, fuck it, active protective system. I mean, I'm sure like a few of these APS systems have uh, manual switch on them. I wouldn't be surprised. Just hear someone like bonking on your commander's hatch with a little stick. Open up the head. Just fire off your whole load of. <laughs> Oh, that would suck, dude. That would suck. You're, you're the one idiot standing in front of it. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. It's a load of extra large buckshot to the face. Oh, my God. It's the T-14, guys. Oh, <laughs> no. The worst <laughs> thing ever made. Their best for last. Yeah, it's T-14. Shut up. <laughs> guys, guys, I promise. These, like, 600 tanks they've lost in Ukraine. That's only just like softening things up before they deploy the T-14, okay? You see, it's all part of the plan. Yeah, yeah Putin's playing 40 checks. Yeah, that's how... Yeah. Isn't well, that the one that broke down? down yes. You see, it was the handbrake, okay? Because your drivers aren't smart enough to use the uh, tank's brake system correctly, okay? It totally didn't break down. It broke down. I wonder what happened to that... the, the crew to that... Oh, he's, uh, he's having a They're nice vacation in uh, Siberia. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, you may be wondering, Dennis, I see no radar arrays here. I see no flipping bangle or torpedoes. You know, where's the APS? Well, inside. Yes, the crew is the active protection system. <laughs> <laughs> they throw the loader out of the, in front of the incoming missiles. <laughs> The loader is uh, not necessary. <laughs> yeah, the whole crew is up front next to the driver, right? Yeah, that's correct. God, that's so stupid. So, see these little smoke grenade launcher thingies here, right? See. So, this is the Afghan APS. And, like, just the name alone makes me think, like, the Soviets, uh, sorry, Russians are coping and seething so hard after Afghanistan. They were like, we're going to name our greatest APS after what could have been. Dude, that's exactly what I was just thinking. So, like uh, these other APS systems, Afghanit has never actually been tested. Like, I don't even know if they've done... I think they've done live fire tests on it, but... And then they're actually like simulations. You know those uh, YouTubers who do armor penetration simulations? I guarantee it doesn't do that. First T-14 is going to roll turret blown off by an in-law. Oh, well, that's okay, because, I mean, the crew's not in the turret, right? Good point. Good point. So, <laughs> <laughs> defeating, like trying to deter, say a a saber. What's a saber round? Let's start asking. Google likes five defense yeah. information. I to say he's gonna have. Okay, three thousand five hundred miles per hour. Okay, so one of the main uh, things that the Russians are touting about the Afghan at APS is that unlike any other APS we've discussed so far, it can defeat kinetic penetrators like Sable Rounds. So, if this is true, 
it would give the T-14 and any other tank on which it is mounted a distinct advantage because it could, in theory, basically render the tank completely immune to any attack by any other tank, right? Well, the thing is that the Afghan is a complete scam, much like basically every other piece of Russian military technology. So, the basic idea of how it would work is that it would use an explosively formed penetrator, which is basically where you have an explosive that plasticizes metal into a penetrator instead of a heat warhead which creates a, co a cone of uh, hot metal that creates a jet um, this actually like for forces metal together into like a little penetrator and the idea is i would use radar to fire this penetrator at a for argument's sake a sable round it would hit the sable round and then destroy it mm. the problem with this however is that it ignores math so the way you know the way that the APS has to work is that it has to have a radar system that first looks you know f far enough away that it can identify the Sabot round. It has to b ping radio waves off the Sabot round repeatedly to get the velocity and movement vector of it in relation to the tank to figure out where it will approach the tank from. Then it has to feed that data into its computers to figure out in real time exactly where it needs to fire the penetrator in order to, to destroy the projectile. Then it actually has to launch the projectile, and then it has to undergo the chemical reaction and hit the Sabot round. The problem with this is that all this takes time, and when you think about you know, the average muzzle velocity of, a, say, a 120mm Sabot round is, what is it? Like, it was something like 3,000 miles, yeah, miles per minute or something like that. Something ridiculous. meters per second, yeah, something like That's that. Some, some stupid high number, right? The thing is that, as someone who works with computers, they just don't calculate really complex data like you know four-dimensional vectors that quickly. So, yeah, I I I find the idea that Afghanistan could defeat a kinetic penetrator extremely. Uh, I I I have extreme skepticism about that. I think it's just going to be the case where like you know, basically everything now in the Russian military it's vaporware where it scares NATO and then it makes NATO develop something so overpowering that I can defeat this, this system, and then it turns out that this system never really even worked in the first place. It's a bit of an F-15 moment. Instead of the APS helping, that uh, Saber Round pretty much just turns those Russians into marinara sauce, well, Russian aerosols. More or less, yes, a soup-like homogenate, as it were. Yes. Well, that, that's the point of a Saber Round, is it just... The Saber Round just goes in one side, out the other, and just creates this vacuum that tries to suck all the crew members through it. Which is basic, basically how they work. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, there are Russian APS systems that have been proven, like uh, Arena, which is a much more conventional and is somewhat similar to the, uh, the Trophy APS. But, uh, yeah. Considering that the T-14 itself is you know, a huge piece of, of vaporware, I, I'm not sure if we could consider Afghanit to be any good either. Is um I mean, is Arena APS uh, soft or hard kill? That's going to be uh, the what the Shora? Uh, no, the Arena. Oh, Arena, that's hard kill. So it basically yeah. works on the same principle as the uh, Trophy, where you use radar to figure out where the projectile, in this case a missile, is approaching the tank from. When the missile gets close enough, it basically shoots a plastic explosive. Uh, detonator out of the tank towards the missile it blows itself and the missile up so gotcha. it basically 
the advantage with those systems like arena and trophy again is that because you're just basically shooting a big stick of you know c4 at the missile you can quickly disable it alongside everything within like a three meter radius which is not good for the infantry using your tank as cover but right. it is very very effective because it eliminates the need to precisely hit the warhead which means that it takes less time to com for the computer to work and do its job and that's one of the reasons why afghan is not necessarily as you know like viable because it has to figure out i mean you think about how big a sable round is it's like this tiny little dart right. that's going to be very hard for the computer to calculate the exact vector for the explosively formed penetrator so yeah that is afghan so so basically uh, nato needs to be nerfed uh, you know what i want that 130 millimeter uh, uh gun on this like clerk <laughs> Every NATO tank has to go to 130. 140. Just so, what can we take away from our little session on APS systems? Russia bad, NATO they're very, good. Yes, they're very specialized. Like, from what tank on tank, all right. 130. tank on tank probably won't do well. RPGs unguided. You know, not so good. Yeah. Yeah. So there's still there's still a lot that it still won't protect from, really. Red eyes don't work. Simple mm -hmm. as. The very there there are still a very new technology. Bugs are still there. <laughs> well, hey, they look kind of cool. Oh, they do look cool. Speaking of, that's all that matters. It is. They make models of these things. Hey. Not many. Hell yeah. So. If you are a fan of IDF armor, it is your lucky day because the only active protection system that is really made in any quantity in plastic form is the Trophy APS. And the only tank which has it that they make in plastic form right now is the Merkava Mark IV LIC. So this is the main kit for it. It's a very nice little kit. It's got mine rollers and everything, workable tracks and suspension. Um, it does have both the Windbreaker uh, radar system, which is part of the trophy active protection system, and it does have the trophy modules themselves. So, I just say yeah. those mine yeah. rollers look so wimpy. I fucking plow. They look, they look so stupid. Yeah. You know those mine rollers that you saw Humvees pushing? Yes. Yeah, it looks like that. It's true. Um. But yeah, so otherwise, you can also get uh, resin models for the APS system, like the, uh, oh, what's it called? The Drawsd, right? Mm -hmm. So this is, I think, just your standard T-55 kit from, you know, Mini Art, perhaps. But you can go on eBay and get, you know, these. These are pretty good. It's even got the, uh, the laser rangefinder that you saw in later models of the T-55. Mm -hmm. um, however, otherwise, because APS systems are so new, um, the majority of ones that you can actually find are going to be ones you have to 3D print yourself. So, for instance, you can actually get the uh, the Scarab 1 and 2 APS systems, which are pretty cool. You know, put those on a T-72 and paint it, paint it tan. And then, of course, you can also get the Trophy and Windbreaker APS online and then print those with a resin printer. You Did you do that for your T-55 you're working on? I might. You know what? I actually end up, might end up doing that. Just slap That'd it That'd be on. really neat. I might have to do that. Don't tempt him. 
<laughs> oh, I'm tempting him. Do, I am you, tempting him. You could do like a jerry-rigged version of it. Well, that's what I'm thinking. I might do the uh, Scarab uh, 2, the one in the center here, because that's a Syrian uh, mm. APS system, and it, it is very much a uh, system of convenience, shall we say. <laughs> Proven. Yeah, it, it has actually been proven in combat. I will say that they have actually shown themselves to be useful. Just like that uh, rigged up cannon on the back of the pickup truck. Yes, Remember exactly. That? <laughs> or that uh, BMP-1 turret they welded to a Ford F-150. <laughs> Bro. Ford tough. So, yeah, that is basically the APS system. So, we have a little segment here on the podcast called There's a Hill to Die On. And basically, one of us comes on and has the worst possible take of all time, and then they have to get crucified for it. So my take is that instead of being bad for the modeling industry, video games and their rise have actually been a good thing. Simple as. But we all agree on this. Like, it's simple. Yeah, yeah it's like, true. Well, I got into it. <laughs> it's a, yeah. See, the, the, I think the conflict will come whenever, uh, using stereotypes, mind you, I know this isn't everyone, but a lot of the older generation, uh, especially modelers, really do think that uh, the downfall to modeling is due to video games, because everyone spends all their time on video games instead of modeling. But And I can kind of see their point, but uh, just like Jack said, Right, this is video games are a big insight into scale modeling because you see like a tiger tank. Everyone and their mom wants a tiger tank, and then well, Tamiya, being the popular brand that they are, they have multiple tiger tanks. So, Greg, have I got a story for you? So, oh, picture this, right? <laughs> yeah, picture oh, no. this. So I'm working my shift at the hobby store, and you know we we don't have too many models, but you know we got all the standards. We got your Tamiya tiger. We got your Border Model Tiger. We have your uh, Academy Tiger. We have your Ravel Tiger. We, we've got Tigers. We don't actually have anything else. It's just a wall of Tigers. <laughs> so, this young kid comes in, right? And he walks up to me and he says, <clears throat> Hey, do you guys have any uh, German tanks? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I asked him, well, Okay, what, what German tank do you want? Do you have any picture Ausführung G's? I ask him, you know, point blank, so, uh, what level are you at in the German tech tree in War Thunder? He's like, rank three, how did you know? So, oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> See, point proven. There you go. <laughs> I think, like, almost every young guy who's gotten into scale modeling, especially tanks, now, like, in this day and age, is probably due to either World of Tanks or War Thunder. So, you know, on one hand, you know, even though a lot of people, especially, you know, People who say don't didn't really grow up with them might think that they're leading to the downfall of the hobby. I think it is leading to a group of a lot more, shall we say, obsessive modelers who are going to become a lot more involved with it just because you know they play the video games and it sort of cultivates this mindset of being hyper interested in you know the very certain aspects of the tanks, right? Because in War Thunder, you know, we're always looking at okay, well, what kind of armament does this have? What kind of suspension? You know, all that. How can you play it? And that's going to translate over to scale modeling. We're going to always be demanding, you know, better and better kits. Oh, to add. To yeah, that point, and um, oh, you go, Jake. Oh, all right. Uh, 
Well, like, in War Thunder, if you're actually, like, driving the tank around, you get to, like, in a way, you, you're you going around the map, taking it to different locations, you get to, like, there's additional camos and stuff. Like, it's just a diorama waiting to happen if you're pulling it up beside, like, a tree or something, or, you know? You get to actually Dude, that's, oh, yeah. It's funny you say that. The other day, the other day, Dennis and I were on Postscriptum. And uh, oh, we were yes. just rolling around in R35, and he mentioned that exact thing. Like, man, this is just diorama scenery right here. I just pick and choose. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Postscript, mm. I'm pretty sure, I'm convinced, was actually developed by Miniart as an excuse to sell more of their diorama products. <laughs> <laughs> well, think about it. Like, it, it's great that all these older generations have all these books and things like that that you can see pictures that were taken during that time it's great those are i'm not doubting those references because they are actual pictures but we still use them you can only do so much yeah exactly we still use them but you can only take so much out of a black and white horribly pixeled photo whereas you go in game to 1940 for instance right in a video game uh where the developers have gone in and they've done their darnest to make it as historically accurate as possible with the architecture the the way the roads were made things like that it's it's like next next level basically for people who want to make dioramas and have really good references or even just um like seeing hell to weather something like you go on war thunder and you know you go preview a tank you can zoom right in and see everything you know, because they got they don't have the tanks clean in the game. You know, they've always got nope. some sort of weathering, and you know they're chipped and all that. You can go in and really zoom in and see just how they've modelled it, and you can try and do it yourself. You know, you, and you can real you know just like a reference photo, but slightly better because you can zoom right in and get into the high detail that they've done on on the three D modelling. That's what I did for my R thirty five. Yeah, you can also like adjust uh, how weathered it is on War Thunder. You can do yeah. that, yes. Mm. But also for like the whole video game and modeling stuff, um, a lot of video games have jumped onto the modeling band. Um, like you've got, I'm pretty sure it's Atelier have done some uh, collusion with uh, World of World Tanks. Tanks I think they. Yes. They did World of Tanks, and then there was another company that did a um, collusion with War Thunder, I think it was. And they were sitting there, um, I think it was Ravel. Yeah. It was Ravel yeah. or Atelier. Yeah. I know they, they both did um, collaborations, but like now they're bringing out, so they got on the box, on the box, you know, they got the Tiger, and then they've got like the, the game brand name and everything all over it, and it's very, very eye catching. So, you know, people who start. Well, they can when they're just starting modeling, they can look into the uh, store and then say, "Well, there's a uh, there's something I recognize. You know, there's a there's a logo I recognize. You know, it's not, you know, because for us we look at logo brands like Tamiya and Tacom and all of that. Whereas someone new don't know brands, they don't know the modeling brands, but they know the video game brands. So you know, they can go in and see War Thunder on one of the brand on one of the boxes, and they do stuff like. So, you know, simple stuff like Shermans, Tigers, stuff like that, and it's recognizable to them. And then from there, that's a jumping point. I think Absolutely. There's a whole generation of young guys now who knows way more about tanks than we have any right knowing. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. To add to this. <laughs> yeah. To add to this whole uh, conversation too, not just video games, but also like YouTube uh, has a huge part in it too, because like you get uh, like maybe you're watching a War Thunder video or something because got into War Thunder, uh, and then you get like a night shift video and you're recommended and then you just get one they won't stop going away and that way like people getting into the hobby can also see like which brands to buy uh what kits are good because it's just all available to them where back in the day you had to figure that out yourself mm-hmm. yeah if you are really really into tank games well it's all good seeing it on the screen but there is definitely something about having one that you can hold and physically physically hold and look around. There's definitely, um, yeah. you know, even people who don't like to build models, they'll still pick up a model of one and have a look at it in depth just because they've seen it on a screen and they haven't necessarily seen it in real life as well. So it's, you know, it just brings them a bit more to it. I'll say this. Absolutely. It's way easier to build the M1A1 as a model kit than it is to grind the 10,000 hours and worth under to unlock it. This is true. Oh, I have a Very question. True. What is everyone's take on weirboos or whatever they want to call themselves? Uh oh. Weirboos. Ah, jeez. Oh, jeez. But... <laughs> yeah. Um... The... <laughs> we, we could go into a whole episode about that. We could do that. Let's do I it. I think we actually we should, should do we an should, episode yes. about weirboosm. Oh, God. Okay, well, guys, what is Yeah, let's, let's save that let's for another it. time. Yeah, That'll be next like week's the, uh... to die on. That'll be our arc to the Lions Led by Donkeys clean Vermock theory. Oh, yes. <laughs> the great collab. <laughs> I'm going to slide new uh, his DM and just be like, yo, we need a collab. He's talking to uh, Liam. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, so that was uh, my hill to die on. I'm not dead. You so certainly not did not die. Yeah. Oh, that's like, it was a pretty good hill. Yeah. We're all going I mean, that's probably a hill that. That's like, I think for for a hill, that's be, it'll be interesting to have someone like Can Medic on or someone, you know, someone who's older than us. Are you suggesting that Can Medic is not as young as we are? No way. No. 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 No, no, no. no way. Last for me. Think about that. No, I'm just testing you know to see if he actually, I'm just seeing if he actually listens to it because he <laughs> called me out on this one after, like after it's been released. Yep. <laughs> Next episode is going to be a debate between uh, Cal- uh, Columbus and Ken Medic. Yes. He's going to end He'll up sending a uh, ICBM over to New Zealand. <laughs> well, well, we did establish this morning, me and Ken, Ken Medic are basically the same person. It's just he builds more arm and I build more aircraft. That's pretty much the only difference. You can see that, yeah. <laughs> well, one of you guys is upside down. The other is right side up. Well, you... Depends no, on how right you look at it. He's upside down. Inverted can medic. Yep. Well, in space, there's no such thing as upside down. Do you, uh, so, you know, know what can't do now? Probably working on his... The Earth, uh... Tractor. I mean, trailer. Damn it. Earth yeah, can't be upside it. down if it's flat. True. <laughs> Before we go on to our um, work in progresses, um... I think we have something to tell the Plastic Posse. We do? You guys Uh-oh. know what we're talking about? What? 
shall fight for the pineapple. We shall fight on the pizza. We shall fight in the pizzeria and in the restaurants. We shall fight in the kitchen, and we shall never surrender. MMP 2022. Also, thank you for the shout out. Yes, oh, yes, yes, thank you for the shout out. Threatening you. Thank you so much. Lovely that you gave us a shout out. Yes. Pineapple does belong on pizza. Yep. So, uh, I did nothing this week. I flew a glider. I went and looked oh, yeah. at some aircraft Ooh. in a farmer's field. Beautiful. Yes. Lovely. Okay, Calm, go. So this is mine. <laughs> Still working on the Academy 32nd camel, Sopwith camel. It is fighting the entire way, but I'll eventually get there. I've just been working on the small bits. So like the, uh, the machine guns, the tail... You know, just all small detail. One annoying thing, though, which I've just found out. You see the guns there, top left. Right. Academy mm-hmm. has you install them upside down. Oh, what? Beautiful. <laughs> they, uh, oh, and, I've, and I've looked through and started note. This is the way they go in. All of that, and then you look at. And then I look at. I've looked at other examples of people done have done the same kit, and it's all been installed that way. But then when you look at the actual guns on the camel, and they are totally upside down. Oh, and now I've noticed it, it's going to annoy the fuck out of me. Job Academy. So that, that's like my, my one main complaint right now, is the guns are upside down, and I don't know why they did that. Oh, dude, I can see that. Yeah, because usually the barrels are at the bottom of the cooling jacket, because, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Apart oh, from dude. that... <laughs> Apart from that, um, yeah, just been working on small bits and pieces. Haven't started on the fuselage yet or anything like that. Just trying to get a weekend for that. But yeah, looking forward to seeing it done. Yeah, same yeah it's yeah. looking great. Same. Fuck this is mine. Um, this is my ancient monogram one seventy second scale B thirty six peacemaker, and I just painted up the cockpit. You know, nothing uh, super snazzy, just. And have something you can see through the glass, and I think it turned out pretty well. More weathering and nice. Yeah, honestly, I have to give them credit. The yeah upper part of the cockpit isn't that badly detailed. It has molded on seatbelts and everything. It looks pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The only annoying part. When uh, when was the model good? The only annoying part was I had to paint on every single dial. To see all the white. Oh, jeez. It looks good, though. Thank you. What were you saying? Uh, I was just curious. Do you know when the model was actually printed? Uh, one sec. Looking up on scale meets right now. Uh... 1980. Ooh, wow. Ooh, not bad for 80. Yeah, exactly. How's the plastic on that? Mm, it's a bit hard, but it's not overly hard. Like, it'll crack or anything. Oh, okay. That's, That's good. good. That's good. Yeah. yeah, I think that's about all I have to say about this one. It's Oh, okay. Um, oh, we have my Bismarck yeah. Bruno. Yeah. 
by Tacom. Beautiful little kit. All fun putting it together. Here it is pre-painting. And before I actually paint it, I'm going to switch the barrels out with metal ones. I bought from eBay. So, I like how the uh, the barrels are dancing. Thank you. I was. I'm trying to make it. Trying to make it look like uh, like the Bismarck did before she sank. It's gonna have the yellow top, and that's how I, I believe, barrels looked before she went down. Because well, the Sabaton music video has that, and if you can't believe Sabaton, who can you believe? Don't you mean the uh, short documentary? Oh, good point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the plastic barrels don't look that bad though. Yeah, they were too no, hard. Not at all. Need a bit of sanding, but they look pretty good. You gonna weather this much? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's, I'm gonna beat the hell out of it and then paint the yellow top so that yellow looks freshly applied. There you go. All right. Yep. Ooh, ooh, this one's this one's me. Okay. All right, so. uh I may or may not be going bald because of these stupid-ass tracks. Uh, I swear, I, I don't know if it's Hobby Boss, just this particular kit, or if they may or may not have problems with other kits and their tracks. But this uh, Hobby Boss AAV with the plastic linked together tracks, I'd say like 70 to 80% of them do not link together. Mm. They're either too small or too big. So, it's... Uh, it's a hair pulling moment, but we're getting through it. And then got this 1 to 72 scale V22 Osprey in the mail that I'm gonna make for myself. Neat little little bird plane thing. So pretty cool. Hell yeah. I am loving the uh the dual Tamiya extra thin in the first picture. <laughs> Thank you. I may or may not have email. uh Yeah, I may or may not have cracked one of the bottles there. Ooh. So I had to buy another Ooh. one. <laughs> Ooh. How does that yeah, happen? Do that? I've dropped those. Uh, I'll be honest. I don't know. Is it garage things? Garage things. Yeah. Rick, we both, we all we all actually know ones for gluing and ones for drinking, sniffing. You know, hey, 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 don't we, we don't that. don't let the audience know my deep dark secrets. Okay. <laughs> hey, no, it's it's okay. I've got two as well. Same here. Safety disclaimer: Do not actually drink to me. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> Unless you are a cool person, okay? Right. Unless you are cool, in which case, do so. We're gonna get sued. I swear to God, we're gonna get sued in like it's 12 years. It's definitely an OSHA violation. Like, we're allowed to drink Tammy Extra Thin, but you, the it. average viewer, should not. Absolutely not. Nope. You have to earn your drinking privileges. Exactly. You have to be a podcast. Damn podcast. You have to become a sniffer before you can become a drinker. Yep. <laughs> you haven't you're not, uh, you haven't hit the gateway drug yet. <laughs> mm. Mm, that's, yep. Jack has a good point. And cancels, fuck. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay. Oh, look at that. Oh, it's so, so cute. Uh, this week, I thought we would have a little discussion on a topic which is pretty controversial in the model industry right now. And that is, are resin 3D printers going to, you know, fundamentally change the landscape of scale modeling? Are they going to displace plastic models? What's going to happen? What do you guys think? 
say they're going to be a part of scale modeling, but it's never going to replace injection molded kits. If they do, it will be a long time from now. Yes. Exactly yeah. Like Once printers get a bit bigger. That's like and a, less expensive. They've been doing it for so long, they can't... Like, it's part of the hobby now. It's kind of ingrained into it. You, you also got to mm. think, too. Like, most people don't have the money to just drop on a two to $600 printer, right? Give or take what you want. Uh, whereas I could buy a 20 to $40 model kit and, you know, be satisfied, right? Exactly. Yeah, and for people getting into the hobby, like, how are you going to... Uh, well, would that just, like, erase uh, hobby stores altogether? I think it might yeah. eventually erase a hobby. Be honest with you, because mm -hmm. you're you're definitely going to have a. If you get rid of hobby stores and get rid of plastic kits, there's only going to be so many left over. And once all of those are sold out, unless someone like Dennis, who by the way has a little workshop, uh, starts selling out his own kit city prints, uh, good luck to people wanting to get into the hobby. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And like, think about the. Uh... You know the inspiration that you get every time you leave a hobby store? Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, that's mm, like yeah. a big part of the business, at least where I work. You know, a lot of the modelers who come in, come in for paint, and then they leave with like two kits. That's me. Same here. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's just but, part yeah. of being a modeler. Yeah, I think for the moment, 3D printing is definitely for the accessory um, side of things. Too. Like, you do get. Um, What's that company? Um, scale, scale resin, resin scale, scale? resin scales. That's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they, I mean, that that company is good because they do some really interesting tanks based on the tanks from World of Tanks. You know, so like, say the bottom left there, that's the T one ten E four, I believe, which is a completely unknown prototype sort of heavy tank. So the good thing is, like, you know, you got. Um, scale resin who's doing those sort of unknown stuff which you know resin does, definitely takes a bit more skill to work with they're also US dollars that as well yeah. <laughs> it's definitely expensive um, oh they're how much like $250 yeah. oh my god yeah but um, there are like there are other companies that just do specialized like resin upgrades and accessories and stuff like that. Like uh, uh, Value Gear. There's a guy, guy's uh, company's called Value Gear in the States, and that's all he does is you know uh, resin accessories and stuff like that. And they're really good. Hmm. Where do you think the uh, photo etch side of things is going to be headed in the future? Downhill. <laughs> <laughs> You think? <laughs> I fucking hate photo etch. <laughs> I mean, like... <laughs> oh, no, Jack, you're over there making tiny-ass AA guns for a fucking... What is that's that? Gonna a to die on. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, it will be. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, photo etch is definitely going to stay. Um, I think, like, photo etch, they're definitely getting better. They're getting a bit easier to bend and manipulate. I mean, I've used... 
photo etch that was so thick I couldn't bend it at all without getting you know it didn't bend at a nice 90 degree angle it had it was like rounded oh yeah and yeah, that was I've, yeah I've got I've got a kit that's got that and it's just that was pure frustration but um like photo etch is definitely getting easier to work with now sometimes it's too delicate yeah that's true one thing with uh you know, it's kind of interesting we talk about FotoWatch. So I think a good barometer for where resin printing is going with the industry, at least for the time being, you guys know the uh, light guards on like M4 yes. tanks? Yep. Yeah. So traditionally, if you didn't want the thick plastic parts, what did you use? Watch. I don't exactly. But nowadays, I'm seeing quite a few people using uh, 3D printed light guards. The advantage with those is that they are because if you look at the real life light guards, usually they're not like perfectly thin, like flat strips of metal. Mm -hmm. They're actually like you know bars or wires or whatever, and they have volume to them, right? But you can't capture that with photo etch. So resin printing gives you like that detail and that volume. You know, it's definitely something where you can actually augment the photo etch. Yeah, yeah. I think zero placement. <laughs> I think um, like 3D printing is good for like say Ezra's scales, you know, one to one hundred and stuff like that. I think they're all, they're almost at the same place as like with uh, Warhammer, you know, when people are printing off their own um, figures and stuff like that. I think there's going to be a lot more of um, of that for like World War Two tabletop games, people printing off their own tanks and subjects like that. Yeah. Yeah, I can see hey, it. Can you buy your, can you buy your own like photo etch engraver? Can yes. How much? Oh wow, no. I remember I was reading a back issue of Fine Scale Modeler from like 1994, and back then you could buy buy those photo etch engravers. Um, I'm gonna search it up right now. Yeah. Do it. I know Plasmo does a video on um how to make your own photo etch. Yeah, he did. He did one on as a photo which bender bending tool. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I need to watch again and replicate. One thing I have seen three uh, D printing with uh, lately is so you guys know a lot. There's border model, right? And border model and a lot of their kits, they are now using like three D printed barrel covers. So say if you've got their tiger right and you want to cover the muzzle brake of the metal barrel. They give you a 3D printed resin part to do that. But there is also um, Vespit. You know that Vespit? They were that new company and they make the 72 scale tanks. Right. Yeah, they have a bunch of like uh, things like you know covered machine guns or infrared searchlights. Those are all re resin printed. Huh. Okay, so here's one for 406 pounds. It's a etching machine and you can do two sheets at once oh i don't know yeah how big are the sheets uh well i'm not sure I'd, i'll read further nice oh it doesn't well, i know what uh, jack's doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah uh get a patreon going <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna have like 20 patreons yeah. by the end of the year hell yeah yeah, yeah. That's the goal. Yeah. That's how it should work. Uh, you help, you know, buy Jack a photo etch machine, and then you can request photo etch sheets from right. him. 
And he'll send them exactly. to you. It, it pays for itself. Exactly. And this way, I don't have to give Edward like a couple hundred bucks for Enterprise Photo Etch sets. I need a, uh, there you I need go. a Patreon tier for me so I can get enough money not only buy, but also ship a uh, knocked out T-72 from Ukraine over to me. <laughs> oh, knocked out? Hey, Boy, that? just get a brand new one. Yeah, I was going to say you can get a brand spanking new one. True. Lightly used. Hey, remember that uh, Micro Machines uh, Iltus Joyride we were planning a couple months ago? Oh, oh, that's yeah. True. A uh, micro machines uh, podcast field trip in Iltis equipped with a tow missile to Ukraine. Hell yeah! We'll be doing some big game hunting. Yeah. And Hell yeah, brother! Sweet reference pictures. Knowing my luck, I would just Absolutely. get like evaporated from a heat round. Like we all we, uh, would. Uh, before we knock out the Russian Dennis. tank, we're just like, hold up, hold up. Can you can we just get some foes real quick first? <laughs> Hey, get some before yeah. and afters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 3D printing. There you go. We went from 3D printing to before and after photos of modern yes. Russia-Ukraine conflict. <laughs> Sounds like most of our conversations. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah we're honestly. Getting, we're getting better at podcasting. We did do a she, podcast. We did. We do be Look at us go. This episode six. See yep. episode six. These God, next week will be seven. Bro. Next week will be seven. Then we're almost at ten. For veterans. Twenty. One hundred. <laughs> the next thing you know, we might be able to actually invite someone on to on for a legit interview. Yes. Maybe. I'll be like, hey, do you want to come on the Micro Machines podcast? I'll be like, what the fuck is that? Who? Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the plastic parts we talked about. Yeah, we had oh, a five that, those... mention. Yeah, they're going to be like, you mean the idiots that think pineapple goes on pizza? It's like, yeah, that's us. <laughs> Actually, speaking of fighting, me and uh, Callan are going to have a fight to the death at dawn. Over which is better, ammo or AK? Oh, yeah. Neither. Atlantis is superior. Oh, oh yeah, I love my uh, 135th scale figures that look like friggin' gummy bears. 